That's why I gave you some warning, because this might be a part of the scriptures that this book has been tucked away, but it's something that will, I pray, be beneficial to all of us as we look at the Word this morning. Um, normally, as part of our ebb and flow of the year, this is the year that, or this is the weekend that we take time to remember all of those who are part of our church that have um, that have gone to meet the Lord, that have passed on. Uh, with Diane, with Diane not being here, uh, we're going to wait till next week. So I hope that uh, that will be something that will be of a, of a great blessing to you because all of those names were a very, very important part of our church. And um, and their legacy does live on as as they poured in so much to ARBC over the years. We want to be sure that we're going to remember them, but we'll do that next week. We want to let you know. So this past week was a difficult week in a lot of ways, as I alluded to earlier. I think the thing that may have hit me um, in a way that was very different from some of the other things that may have happened as far as uh, church world is concerned. Um, some of you may have heard about the report that came out amongst our Southern Baptists regarding our Southern Baptist Executive Committee. How many of you did hear about that? Because I want to see how far along. Okay, so that was a, a really a devastating report for a lot of reasons. But let me give you a little bit of background. Um, you may remember back in 2018 that there was a report that was first chronicled in the Houston Chronicle about 700 um, sexually abused victims, sexually abused people in churches who um, were trying to get some sort of hearing and some sort of justice from our churches and from our Southern Baptist Executive Committee. And if you don't know what a Southern Baptist Executive Committee is, we're, put a pin in that. Hang on, I'll tell you what that's all about. They weren't getting um, the hearing and the justice that they were needing. And so over the last four years, there has been a push from our churches and some of our members to make sure that the executive committee was hearing them. But yet there was always a lot of pushback. They kept saying that they were going to be doing some internal investigation, but those internal investigations always led nowhere. And sometimes that's even what happens in churches that when something like this goes on, that rather than dealing with it, sometimes they try to deal with it on the inside and not, not deal with it to where it's out in public because they're afraid that it's going to hurt the reputation of the church. Well, I just want to tell you this. If something like that is going on, um, God has made it very clear that our sins will find us out. And then we're really, if you're worried about a reputation, then not only um, the church's reputation, but Christ's reputation is being brought down. So I was proud of our Southern Baptist Convention. The way we operate is, is that our Southern Baptist Convention is actually an annual meeting. That's where all of the churches get together, usually in June. Well, it's been in June for the last however many years. And so they meet, and there's usually a couple of days of a pastor's conference, and then for a couple of days they end up taking care of business. And so they end up, it's basically one big business meeting interspersed with some singing and some ministry reports and such. But one of the things that they did, that our messengers were saying was, this cannot continue. And so we need a third party group to come in that's objective, that will investigate. And some of the higher ups were like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. But the messengers overwhelmingly, 99.8% said, we've got to do this. And so I was sitting in, now we're, in, uh, we're well-versed in Zoom, so now I was sitting in on watching some of these conversations take place. 
And with our denominational leaders, the executive committee, which is the one that basically runs the business in between the annual meetings, they're the ones that have been tasked. And there's people that are come from all of the different states that are sitting on this committee. And so the, the fear from some of these folks was we're not going to get any more legal representation if we do this. We're not going to have any more insurance if we do this. We're not going to have any more of this and any more of that. All the while saying we care about the victims, but we care about the victims, but we care about the victims. However, And so they finally did it, and the report came out, and it's not only about some of these who have, are finally going to be named and going to get some justice, but also some of the ones who are the perpetrators of this sexual abuse. So that came out, and I was devastated to see this because I love my convention. I love the Southern Baptist Convention. I have been a Southern Baptist. I was born on a Friday and in a Southern Baptist church on a Sunday, and that is not hyperbole. That's true. I, I love what they do with missions. I love what they do. We, we have this thing that's called the cooperative program, which, you know, I mean, there, it's a way to disperse money to be able to make sure that these ministries are being taken care of. I love being a Southern Baptist. But we also have to realize that judgment begins at the house of God. So that happened along with the shootings, one in Buffalo, and the shooting that happened in, in Buffalo took place at a place called Topps Supermarket. And I'm just going to warn you, this is going to be a really long introduction. But it took place at Topps Supermarket. And what that, this, this community in Buffalo was called a food desert. And so this place was working. It was, it was um, an area where they did not have a supermarket to be able to have access to um, um, healthy and affordable food. And so they finally got that. After decades of work, they finally got that. And this was a community that was mostly African-American, mostly black. And the gentleman that opened fire in this place, was it wasn't just a supermarket. It was a community gathering place. And this person was a self-identified, at least by the police, identified as well as a white supremacist. And so came in and unloaded. And then the, the shooting that was in Uvalde, um, 21 were killed, 19 students, two teachers. And this is what was said in one of the articles. It was a typical Tuesday in Uvalde, Texas, where the students and teachers at Robb Elementary School wound down the school year with a graduation set for the weekend. In the morning, the school celebrated its honor roll, but shortly after, the bright futures of the 19 students and two teachers were tragically cut short. An 18-year-old gunman wearing body armor crashed his car in a ditch near the school and then after getting past law enforcement, entered a classroom, locked himself inside. And what we have seen is that the police were not responsive, even as they were very close by. Someone had a log of all of the 911 calls that were given, 1203, 1208, 1211, 1212, 1214, 1215, 1220, 1222, all of them up until about the 1250s. Please help us, please help us, please help us. And for whatever reason, they didn't. This on top of seeing the reaction of those who are seeing the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court and being sent to the states, and seeing now 4,000 children aborted every day, 1.3 million children aborted every year, just in our country, tens of millions worldwide. And we're seeing all of this happen in this month. And what is the common denominator of it all? 
The common denominator of it all is a lack of justice, a lack of standing up for those who cannot stand for, stand for themselves, and a, and a worldview for some that is so focused on self rather than being focused on Christ and being focused on their neighbor. There is a reckoning that is coming. There is a reckoning that I believe has already come with our Southern Baptist Convention. And I think there's going to be a reckoning that is coming to our country. I don't know when it will be. I don't know how long God's hand will tarry. But I do know that God, all through the Scriptures, has made it very clear what He is expecting at least of His people. Us. Us who are followers of Jesus. And if you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is not something where you can turn your head and ignore it. These are some things that you have to make sure that you are rolling up your sleeves and, and, and being ready to make sure that we are standing up not only for the name of Christ, but standing up for our neighbor, and on top of that, standing up for our neighbor who cannot stand up for themselves. That's why we're in Micah. Of all places, we're in Micah. Would you stand as we read his word together? Micah chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So let's look at these three that he has outlined for us. Number one is about doing justice. We must do justice. We must deal honestly and fairly with those especially who are weak. So when we talk about justice, we're not simply talking about retribution and punishment for a wrong that is done. When we talk about justice, the Bible mentions that the justice, that justice is taking time to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. That's what made the report from this third-party investigator of our executive committee so egregious. People were asking for a hearing. People were asking for justice. They did not get it. That is not what the Scriptures call us to do. That's what made the reports of the hesitation in Uvalde so egregious because there were people who were locked in the classroom but were not getting help from law enforcement at that time. That's what made the shooting in a low-income area like Buffalo so egregious. Whether it was children whether it was the unborn children, whether it was those that were sexually abused, whether it was those that happened to have a different pigmentation than this person had. And the reason that the person that was in Uvalde decided that he got upset was because the boyfriend of his mom turned off his Wi-Fi. And that's what set him off. Obviously, there were other things that were at play. But that was the thing that set him off. That was the fuse. And also seeing 1.3 million children aborted every single year. That's, that's what justice is. is standing up and protecting those who cannot protect themselves and providing that voice in the valley. The prophet Micah was reminding the leaders of God's people that they not only must execute justice among his people, but also must stand up for the weak. Let me give you a couple of examples in Micah. Micah chapter 2. 
In verses 1 and 2, it says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. See, it's the people that are in power that are, that are going against those who are weak and leveraging that so that they can gain more power. Verse 2, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. If you will jump over to chapter 3 and verses 1 to 3. It says, and I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Remember, he's talking to the leaders of God's people. He's saying this, is it not now for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil? who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh from my, of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. This is what the leaders were doing. They did not care about God and they certainly did not care about the people that were leading them, only so far as those people that they were leading would, would allow them to accrue more power so that they could leverage it against them even more, and you see how the cycle continues. This is among God's people. We can't see this happening without ourselves being disgusted. Disgusted. That's the word. And so when we look at this, we see the parallel. What are we as God's people supposed to be doing even now? Well, Jeremiah helps us that. In Jeremiah 29, verse 7, God's people were told to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. You will find welfare. See, the people of Israel, when they were, when Jeremiah was talking, they were in exile. And the reason they were in exile from God's holy land and they were over in Persia and Babylon, the reason they were over there was because of their own disobedience. But there they were. And so what were they to do? Were they to whine and moan and not be able to sing the Lord's songs because they weren't where they wanted to be? No. Seek the welfare of the city where you are. And that's what he's telling us to do. No, this is not a Christian realm that we're in. Most of society couldn't care about Christianity. And in fact, once Christianity wiped off the map because we're going against what they're wanting to do. But here we are. We're in exile, if you will. We're aliens and sojourners in this world until we have a better country to come, as Hebrews 11 tells us. There's something better coming. But here we are right now. And what do we do? We take action. We seek the welfare of the city, and especially of those who can't seek their own welfare. We seek the welfare of the city, but we also pray. People are getting all over, folks. Well, all you're doing is just sending thoughts and prayers. They're half right. We are praying. But there also may need to be something that we do as far as action is concerned. And sometimes God's people don't want to hear that. In fact, if you look in Micah chapter 2 and verse 6, this is what the people were saying. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. In other words, why are you preaching to God's people? We're fine. He's, he's already sealed us. We've already been delivered. We're not so bad. And God may come along and expose some things of, in our thinking, in our language, in our, in our, in, in, in our actions. And He may come along and say, no, there is something wrong. And all of us, even if we've been Christians for 200 years, all of us need to hear the word of God and to be reminded of it every single day because the flesh is still in play. 
the, your, your, the, the world the, and, and its influence, the flesh and its influence, the devil and his influence, they're all absolutely in play. And so we're talking about doing justice. We are dealing honestly and fairly, especially protecting the weak. I I just want to remind you, in case you weren't aware, that hospitals and universities and adoption agencies were all, among many others, were all started by Christians who were seeing the weak in the Roman culture not being taken care of. If you had a handicap or you were a girl, the Roman families would sometimes just sit you by the road and let whatever may happen, happen. It was the Christians that came along and said, no, we're not going to let this happen because everybody's an image bearer of God and therefore they're of value. And so we come along and, and, and help them and don't look at them and under the guise of, well, I'll only help them when they can help me. Boy, what would happen in some of our lives if, if people only treated us in a way that, well, you know, I'm only of value as long as I can help somebody else. That may not be where we are, but that's where we have to recognize what's going on. In Amos 5, verses 21 to 24, Amos the prophet says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. The the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That is God's way. Justice. But God's way is also mercy. Number two, love mercy. Dealing with others as Christ has dealt with us. Do you recognize the mercy, those of you who are Christians, do you know the great and incredible mercy that God has dealt with you? I have to feel like I have to remind ourselves of this, and I have to remind myself of this as well. It is not something we deserve. The mercy that God has given to us is not something we deserve. You've heard the distinction between grace and mercy, that grace is receiving something you do not deserve. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve Christ. We don't deserve his Holy Spirit. We don't deserve heaven, but he gives it to us. Mercy is not receiving something that you do deserve. We deserve hell. We, de- we deserve not having any kind of fellowship with the Lord. We deserve not to be looked on by God at all. But yet he does, and he delivers, he saves. We do not receive something that we most certainly do deserve. And that's where when we get into walk humbly with your God, if you recognize you don't deserve God's mercy, then you're not going to walk humbly. You're you're, going to think you deserve it. And you're going to walk around with pride. Look at me. Look at the great decision that I made. No, you did. You didn't make a good decision at all. You didn't make a good decision at all on your own. It was the Holy Spirit who came and opened up your hearts to show you what you need to do, and he gave you the strength to do it. Give credit where credit's due. But when we look at this um, loving mercy, that dealing with others as Christ has dealt with us, the word here is a word, it's a Hebrew word called hesed that you may have heard of. So hesed is a very broad term. That's why translators sometimes translate it in a lot of different ways. Loving kindness, 
steadfast love, steadfast love and faithfulness. All of those words and, and others in our English translations encapsulate that word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, to anglicize it, H-E-S-E-D. We first hear about it in Exodus 34, verse 6. Hear this word. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding in hesed. It's his faithfulness that we rely on. Now, so we, we, we can look at these institutional environments like our denomination. Some of you, you may have heard the report of the, of the Southern Baptist Convention. You're like, I'm out. If this is what's going to happen with the Southern Baptist Convention, I'm out. Well, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be replacing one denomination if you decide to go to another church and join them for another denomination that's filled with men who have the, and women who have the potential of being unjust as well. And then you're going to get frustrated there. Then you're going to move on and then you're going to see, oh, these people aren't perfect either. Guess what? Nobody is. Now, that's not an excuse for what they did. Don't hear me wrong. That is not an excuse for their ignorance and their, and their shoving aside and, 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 and shoving it under the rug. That's no excuse. But I'm saying if that's what you're after, I'm going to find somebody on earth that's perfect. Well, good, you, you're, not, you're, you're not going to find it. Because as preacher after preacher after preacher after preacher says, if you go and find that perfect church and you join it, it's not perfect anymore because you're not. Or we can look at the police institution, who I have a great respect for, and we can look at that one instance or other instances where they didn't step up. Well, I'm done. Or we can look at the medical community, and we can look at our government that is for, with, using taxpayer money to kill unborn children. And we can look at them and say, I'm, I'm done with the government. I'm done with the medical community. I'm done with the education. You see what happens? We can put ourselves in a position to where we're turning away everybody that's imperfect. Well, who's left? Nobody. Nobody here on earth. And if you look in the mirror, you're going to see that same imperfection as well. So you're really in trouble if that's your mode, if that is your goal. Jesus is, one, is the one who comes along and exposes this injustice in Matthew 23, 23. Oh, by the way, if you think that Jesus is someone who is weak and soft, read Matthew 23. He lets the Pharisees and the leaders have it. And when he does, what he does, he's saying, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. And what he's basically saying is this. You tithe dill and mint and cumin... But you and, and you do those, but you forget justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should do the latter without neglecting the former. So still tithe, still gather together, still worship. But if Monday through Saturday, or for them Saturday or Sunday through Friday, if you do that, if you are in the middle of your Christian walk and you're coming to church and you're singing the songs and you don't even need a hymnal and you don't even need that and you know the Bible and you can quote chapter and verse and all that and yet Monday through Saturday you're not dealing justly and mercifully and faithfully with other people. He's saying it's noise when you actually do gather together. Remember Amos 5. It's noise. He doesn't want to hear it. 
Jesus is letting us know that we've got to be, we've got to make sure that we are dealing well and dealing rightly with the people that are around us, especially those of us that name the name of Christ. In Micah chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, trying to stay in Micah because if we leave Micah, then we might not be able to find it again because it's so small, right? So in in Micah chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, look what's being said here. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Oh, can I pump the brakes here? They got tired of God. They got tired of his word. They got so tired of God because God was getting in the way of what they wanted to do. Is that where you are? Is that why you don't read the word? Is that why church is tough on you? Because God's way may be getting in the way of your way. I want him to get, you, you need to want him to get in your way. Because whenever he gets in your way, that's a good way. Because he's keeping you from something that is going to be devastating down the way. All right, but, all right, hit the gas now. Verse 4. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent you before Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember Bala, king of Moab, what uh, Bala, king of Moab devised, and what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered him, and, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. Shittim, that was the jumping off point, and the last point of them walking in the wilderness. Gilgal was the entry point into the promised land, just so you know what those names are, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. The reason we get into the word is that we need to be reminded of who God is and what he's done and what he aims to do through us. That's why we get into the word. That's why we have to be reminded. And they were forgetting it. They were willingly forgetting it because they were tired of God. They were wearied that God was actually telling them what to do. No, we've got it. And God had rescued them from the tyranny of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And lest we think, well, how terrible that they would forget. Do you remember how God, dear Christian, rescued you from the tyranny of sin? And and is bringing you into the promised land? And we've forgotten? God, thank you for taking me to heaven. Thank you for getting me out of hell. Thank you so much. I've got it from here. Um... I'll let you know when I need you. And that, that's how we act. That's why people are writing books called Christian Atheism. Because people are saying that they're Christians, but they're living their lives as if God's not even around. Or they're tired of him. But God, look at what God has done all through history. And we are to be reminded that that same God that is there, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the mercy that God gives, that hesed love, that mercy, Jesus is that hesed love because we're not faithful. He is. We're going to blow it. He won't. He's going to convict us of sin and we're going to feel like, as Psalm 32 says, that we're melting and wasting away, that our bones can't even hold us up because conviction is so weighing us down. And here Jesus is. He takes us in his hesed love and he sets us on that solid rock. No longer with the sand being washed away. He's standing up on that rock. And I need that rock. I'm not a rock. I'm a mess. I'm not even a pebble. I'm not even a piece of speck of dust in comparison to him. He's the rock. And so when we get to this last part, walking humbly with your God, to walk humbly is to recognize the goodness and faithfulness of God and his commands. The the leaders were not walking humbly. Oh, I've got this. 
And there was no consulting of God's word, God's law. There was no prayer that was going on because they were leaders and they had it and they had the power. What else do we need? Well, we're going to find out that they needed a lot because they were disregarding the word and the way of God. How have my, again, Micah 6.3, oh, how my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. So when we become prideful and God gets in our way of having our way, which is a good thing, by the way, but not everybody sees it that way. And we look at all the institutional environments and we're saying, where can we, where can we go? Who can we trust? We can't trust this. They're going to let me down. We can't trust this group. They're going to let me down. Where can we go? And it's here that I would like for you to turn to Micah chapter 5. Staying in Micah. And in the Hebrew Bible, our Bible starts in Micah 5, chapter 5, verse 2, is actually in the Hebrew Bible, the first verse of this particular chapter. And I want to read verses 2 to 5, and I want you to see if this sounds familiar. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great. To the ends of the earth he shall be their peace. So on social media every so often, the 25th of every month, I, I do this that, that makes some people laugh. And actually somebody had, did a little angry emoji when I did this, is that on the 25th of every month, I, whatever the corresponding month is, like Mar- May 25th, I put up something, seven months till Christmas. And when I do that, I get all sorts of reactions to that. Again, somebody put an angry emoji. Wow, I didn't mean to make you angry. I was just trying to have a little fun. But, but Christmas is playing in here because you see in verse 2, oh, Bethlehem. Well, what happened in Bethlehem? Well, what happened in Bethlehem, if we remember from Luke 2, for unto you is born this day. Yeah, we're saying this in May. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Where's the city of David? It's Bethlehem. And the shepherds, when they heard this, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So, you're going to look to rulers here on earth. And there's going to be some good rulers. Good, faithful, character-filled, full of integrity rulers. But they're not going to get everything right. And we certainly know that the ones that don't have any character are not going to get everything right. Where can we look? Is there a ruler that exists? Is there an institution that exists where we can trust and know that he is going to rule well and he's going to rule right and he's going to be ruling according to God's word and God's majesty? The one that is mentioned here in Micah chapter 5 is none other than Jesus Christ. The one who is that hesed love that was mentioned here, but he's also going to be that ruler that is going to rise up. He came to begin his rule amongst his people, the church. But there's going to be one day where he's going to return. And there's a lot of different people that have a lot of different thoughts about the timeline of his return. We can spend time talking about that. Okay. 
But here's the thing. Don't spend so much time talking about the timeline of his return that you forget the one who's returning. He's going to come and he's going to set up his way and his rule. And in comparison to all of the even great rulers of this world, they're not going to even be able to compare to the rule of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, who is sitting on the throne, the sword of his, that riding, come riding in on that white horse with that rum fire, that sword that comes out of his mouth, which is the word of God. And every word he speaks is right and good and faithful and true. And he is able. So we have hope. We look around all these institutions. Nope, 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 nope. Not even our denomination we can always trust. But they're men and they're women. I implore you, I urge you to look at the one who truly has completely, to the nth degree, done justice. To look to the one who loves mercy and is mercy. To look at the one who not only walked humbly with his God, but lives in us to help us walk humbly with our God. And when we start doing that, we're going to stand out. And we might get stepped on. No matter. I know there's one who will lift us up. Some of you may have been keeping up with this court case of Amber Heard and, and Johnny Depp. It's been going on for weeks. I think it's about done, right? Did it go to jury? Whew. Wow, good. It's good news. Because it's, it's in my feed, you know, the news feed and all that. I'm, I'm like scrolling through it. And I'm like, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp. Oh, okay, stop it. And then you throw the phone on the bed and then you get on with your day. Because it's everywhere. I just want to let you know that we, well, we are, we are interested in those court cases. Whether, whether it was the Scopes Monkey trial back in the 20s or, or the Simpson trial back in the mid-90s or even this other trial. There, there's something fascinating about it. And the thing with trials is that the, the onus on the defense attorneys is this, reasonable doubt. If they can provide reasonable doubt, not necessarily truth, but reasonable doubt, then they have made their case. I want you to know, if you read all of Micah chapter 6, this is a court case. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, verse 1, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. This is a court case. And the prophets are the prosecutors. And we have to find a defense. But is there any defense to be found with this behavior? No. And there will be people who are being on the receiving end of public opinion and soon will be on the receiving end of the, this, le- this legal understanding of, you know, you've done this. And they're going to have a defense attorney who's going to try to get them off. And reasonable doubt. Well, in our limited capacity, we may be fooled by that. But God is not. We have no defense if this is who we are. If we are not acting justly and we are not doing mercifully to others and we are not walking humbly with our God, there is no excuse that we could ever come up with, no matter how sophisticated it may be, there is no excuse that we could ever come up with to say, I didn't know, or there, there, was, there was extenuating circumstances. No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. God has been so clear in his word and with his church and with what he has done in the world. He's been so clear that if you just ignore it, then you're being a fool. I pray God gives you eyes to hear. Can I I have a mulligan? 
Eyes to see. I was making sure you were uh, paying attention. Eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that God will, will do that and bring that to your attention. That there's no defense. The only thing that we can do is repent. Confess it. I did it. And repent. Where are you this morning? What side of, the, what side of this are you on? Now, we could always do better. But if we are completely ignoring what God is saying in his word, I am begging you and I am begging you, Holy Spirit, to come and to, to crush us. Grind us into a fine powder so that you can remake us into what you'd have us to be in Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, there by the grace of God go we. We look at others and we may feel very superior because of what they've done, but Lord, we know we are sinners as well. But it does not excuse anybody from not repenting and not doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with our God. Thank you for Jesus who is that picture, that example, that, that encapsulation of this threefold requirement that we have. And Father, in the midst of this, we pray for our Southern Baptist Convention. Thank you for the steps that they are taking both on a national level and a state level. Thank you, Lord, for the work that's being done in these communities. And Lord, I just pray that we would remove whatever obstacles may be in the way of doing the right thing and, and helping others who are weak and cannot speak for themselves. I pray, Father, that you would, you would mobilize the church of Jesus Christ. How? Lord, I don't know, but you do. I pray, Father, you would mobilize us to where we are doing all that you've called us to do and being all that you've called us to be. Not just here, but wherever we may be because we're taking Christ with us. Thank you for all that you've done. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord, for your glory and for the good of those that are around us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I invite you to stand as we commit our lives to Christ and his way. We are getting ready to sing about the trials on every hand. And we don't understand all the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he'll guide us with his eye and we'll follow till we die. And we'll understand it better by and by. Let's sing this together with all our hearts.